Okay, good morning. Welcome back. Yes, today will be the beginning of a new series, and it's a... I arrived at this decision by several uh, inputs or considerations. Today, anyway, is uh, Thursday, April 14, 2022. The new series, as you can see, is going to be on Weibu Sayadaw. He was a one of the top Burmese meditation masters, Buddhist uh, adepts, I would say, a full arhat, frankly, uh, who got to that attainment in that in his lifetime as Webu Sayadaw, meaning he didn't come in like Nityananda as an uh, avatar, in my view, but attain the final uh, liberation release at the end of the path in line with the Buddhist tradition. And someone had asked me, why don't you do a series on practice? And this uh, series will be extensively uh, focused on his teaching regarding Buddhist practice. One (laughs) Tibetan yogi said, practice is everything. And to some degree that's true. the Zen school in Japan, coming from the Chan school in China, coming from the Sanskrit word dhyana, as the root translated into Chinese Chan and Japanese Zen. The Sanskrit word dhyana comes from the Pali word jhana. So Zen Buddhism is jhana Buddhism. And while Weibu Sayadaw <clears throat> is not of the Zen Buddhist or Chan Buddhist tradition, he uh, of the Theravadan tradition or Pali, based in Pali Buddhist text, text uh, practice is critical, he knows, and uh, he teaches, and study is secondary, uh, and much um, mental freedom or mental emotional well-being or emotional healing and mental clarity and spiritual well-being cannot be achieved without study or, and, and practice, without practice. Study is critical, number one, to know you've got to practice. One of the goals of study is to realize the limitations of study, which is the limitation of thinking, which is freedom is not bound up with thinking the right way. Or freedom leads to clarity of mind and right thought or right view or discernment, wisdom. But you can't think your way to freedom. You can't study your way to moksha or mukti. So here also is going to be some integration of uh, Buddhist Abhidhamma, which is uh, Buddhist uh, commentarial literature on the suttas, coming from later teachers. Uh, one of the three baskets, Tripitaka, Tipitaka, T or Tree as three, Pitaka as basket. The three pittakas or baskets traditionally or understood by all Buddhists really are Sutta, Vinaya, and Abhidhamma. Sutta is the sutras or suttas, which we read many, many like Sutta Nepata. Vinaya are the rules or uh, codes of conduct for monks and also lay people, particularly Shila, Panchashila, Five Shila, <clears throat> Ten Shila rules. Uh, and the, the ways of uh, moral, ethical living, right? You know, in the Eightfold Path, um, the portions called right action, right speech, right livelihood. That's Shila. That comes down to uh, the Vinaya Pitaka, Vinaya Pitaka. And <laughs> this, you know, Webusayadu was a monk from a young age, and so there was no question about moral um, behavior uh, he followed those rules from young age and that wasn't an issue but Shila is critical to go to the next Samadhi and then Prajna so Shila Samadhi Prajna and that's another way of dividing or understanding the whole of the Buddhist path and the whole of the Buddhist teaching that is a threefold division of the Eightfold Noble Path right? so the Eightfold Path of Elements in Buddhism can be understood in terms of the threefold uh, discipline, Shila Samadhi Prajna. And the Shila portion comes out of the Vinaya Pitaka, or is related, 
the study section of the study-based or commentarial literature called Abhidhamma. Uh, I'm not going to get into Abhidhamma directly. Uh, that's where you get Vishuddhimagga by Buddha Gosha. And I discovered there's actually, prior to Vishuddhimagga by Buddha Gosha, is something called Vimuktimagga, which is basically the path of Vimukti or Mukti, which is an earlier text that is not even available now in the Sanskrit in the Sanskrit original, but it came into the Chinese. This is like 2,000 years old, before Vishuddhimagga. That's Abhidhamma, that's study. <clears throat> and there'll be some reference to that when I expound on some of what uh, Weibo Sayadaw is teaching the students, uh, where he was steeped in Abhidhamma and deep study as well. So not only was he kind of flawless in discipline, from a, from a, <clears throat> a, a life plan of, of gunning only for complete and perfect enlightenment, nirvana, nibban, arahan, arhant, arhat, that that was what he came in to do and he did it. <clears throat> and that's not the same for us. We didn't come in for that. And if you think you did, you probably won't be listening to me. You'll be busy practicing and listening to a teacher who can bring you there help you there. So, don't fool yourself. <laughs> if you want nirvana, go, that's great. But if you're not committed to practicing and living that way, then don't fool yourself and think that's what you're intending for in this lifetime. But that's what he sought out to attain, and he attained it, as far as I can tell. And that's where he's coming from in his teaching. And so there'll be some discussion of Abhidhamma related to his discourses to his students the students were basically lay people. I don't think he had a successor. Uh, similar to <clears throat> Yun Men, the Chinese Chan great master with no successor. Similar to uh, Nichananda with no successor. Similar to um, Nisargadat with no successor. I mean, an Inca type of transmission, mind seal, uh, Dharma heir. I don't think Weibu Sayadaw had a direct Dharma heir nor did Nityananda, nor did uh, Nisargadat, nor did Yunmen in China, long, long before. Some of the great, great ones, they simply, there's just nobody at their level <laughs> at, in their generation or of the next generation. And uh, Weibo Sayadaw is mainly teaching uh, Burmese lay people um, in very simple terms, uh, very direct, very uh, distilled Dharma teaching. <laughs> So these are Dhamma discourses of uh, Weibu, Venerable Weibu Sayadaw. And uh, forgive me if I don't say Venerable every time I use his name. Translated from the Burmese by Roger Bischoff, <coughs> who's sort of the Maurice Friedman uh, for Weibu Sayadaw. Uh, while uh, Weibu, you know, Maurice Friedman, what he did what, for um, um, Nisargadat. Uh, putting together I Am That, Famasi, the text from the teachings. Likewise, Roger Bischoff took essential teachings transcribed from Burmese. Not many people can translate Burmese to English. For Weibu Sayadaw, put it onto the Access to Insight, or Tanisaro put it onto the Access to Insight website. <clears throat> so, Nisargadat had Maurice Friedman and the teachings, you know, Nisargadha is not planning to write a book. Uh, and Weibo Sayadaw wasn't planning to write a book. Uh, these guys are too busy teaching to think about writing a book and their posterity. But then there were certain followers who then transcribed <coughs> and published a uh, compendium, compendia of the teachings of Nisargadha and uh, Weibo Sayadaw. Same thing with what happened with... Um, uh, Nityananda, where Captain Hatengi puts them together in um, some of the books uh, uh, compiling life and teachings of uh, Nityananda, and um, also Voice of the Self, MP Pandit, did the same, or did an earlier version than uh, Captain Hatengi for Nityananda. All right, so <clears throat> likewise, David Godman put, a lot to, put together a lot of the teachings of Ramana Maharshi as well as did some others. So you have the great teachers and their compilers who are generally very solid people 
who really love their teacher and really want to put it uh, into translation in a compendia, compendia in a compended form, uh, as accurately as possible out of their pure devotion and respect for the teacher. And I have a similar respect for these great teachers too. That's why I do this. So, number one, this is going to be a series on Buddhist practice. Number two, there's going to be a little bit more discussion of Buddhist Abhidhamma. <clears throat> Particularly, at least where we start, will be some discussion of the five hindrances and the seven factors of enlightenment back to the big book of Buddhist lists. The big book of Buddhist lists, many, many lists in Buddhism, particularly from the early Pali, of um, key principles enumerated, enumerated key principles. It's, it's hardcore stuff. Uh, <clears throat> and yet it's very complementary to teachings of Advaita Vedanta, um, Nisargadatta, and Ramana Maharshi, and uh, Nityananda doing his own integration of Advaita Vedanta and Shaivism and <laughs> his own uh, absolute freedom. This is a Buddhist approach, back to Buddhism now. And um, Buddhism is very structured and similar to certain not, uh, other Vedanta schools. But Advaita Vedanta is a little bit more freewheeling a little bit like Chinese Taoism is kind of freewheeling, um, not um, as systematized rigidly in principles. There are systematic presentations of Taoism too, but they're not, uh, they came later than Lao Tzu, Zhongzu. So, okay, uh, putting together core teachings of a major figure in Burmese Buddhism as a major presentation of uh, Theravada Buddhism, core Buddhism, original Buddhism, that then can be well compared to Advaita Vedanta and uh, core Taoism. And then I will, you know, bring in teaching from the raw material as well, I, as, well as I understand it. And um, the way we'll do this will be... <clears throat> uh, to go through, <laughs> word by word, the entirety of, uh, I think, what came out as a book called The Essential Practice, Parts 1 and 2, uh, from Access to Insight, uh, subtitled Dhamma Discourses of Venerable Webu Sayadaw, translated from the Burmese by Roger Bischoff, 1995. In, uh, you basically have here an introduction, six long chapters, and then notes, and uh, notes after each of the parts of three chapters. So, introduction, three chapters, notes, three more chapters, notes, and that's the text of the essential practice. That'll take us <laughs> through the end of the year, maybe. I mean, it's long, and um, it's deep. Uh, there'll have to be some adjustment for us personally in that, you know, <laughs> this does not, this is not the approach uh, of Ra saying the proper role for the entity in third density is to experience all things desired. No, that's, that's not this. This is not that. And uh, this is the teaching from somebody who came in to attain complete and perfect enlightenment from, as the, as the life plan, it seems and did so, it seems. And in the uh, operative principle or teaching, uh, if you can't see through it, you got to see it through. If you can't see through, see the emptiness of your hindrances or obstructions or defilements or painful mental emotional process, if you can't see its emptiness, its impermanence, its insubstantiality, as in meditation, and one goes back to the breath and can let it go. If one can't see it, see through it, then one has to see it through. And that's where you get to the teaching from Ra, uh, proper role for the entity in third density to experience all things desired. Well, you'll have more dukkha, um, and that also involves, that, that, you know, if you can't, if you don't want to sit through the pain of letting a desire die, 
you may well want to live it out and see what happens. But, you know, you ought to consider whether it'll be harmful to self and other before engaging in the uh, seeking to fulfill the desire, obviously, like Ross saying, better to do certain desires in the mind imaginatively. Likewise, if you can't see through the emptiness of um, mental, painful mental process, like five hindrances, which we'll talk about, then uh, it's good to do therapy, (laughs) meaning self-investigation, meaning think about the stuff coming up. And that's really important, actually, to think about, to know your mind, even if it's all empty and illusory, uh, impermanent, insubstantial. It's very useful to know your psychology um, and uh, know our patterns, um, our defense mechanisms, our cognitive biases, where we're mistaken, where we really, you know, have what expectations we have that are realistic and what are unrealistic, where we have presumptions and assumptions, where we're wrong thinking and how our feelings come out of mistaken core beliefs, distorted views of self, dot, dot, dot. All that's, you know, is important to know. But that's not Weibo Sayadaw's approach. And that's somewhat more raw materials approach, or Ra's approach, and that goes into transpersonal psychology. And know yourself. Uh, it depends on what level of self you want to know, or how you want to know self. And so... This is not transpersonal psychology. This is not um, uh, experienced desires for uh, the development of wisdom and positive polarity. That's, that's not what is being offered by Weber's Idol. He's talking about from a monk's perspective, uh, one who seems to be finished with the path, the fastest way to complete and perfect enlightenment and you'll see that that's really what he's talking about. And so, do what you will with it. Uh, but in terms of uh, knowing practice and um, <clears throat> a visiting bird has come near. In terms of uh, knowing about practice and rightly practicing and rightly valuing practice, uh, this is beautiful and important. And a very distilled understanding of what's most important in Buddhism uh, being offered by Weibo Sayadaw. So, after the introduction of the six chapters, the titles are What Really Matters, A Roof That Does Not Leak, The Flight of an Arrow, Extinguishing the Inner Fires, Work Without Wavering, and A Happiness That Ever Grows. And then there are notes after each of the three. And today I will read the introduction and maybe read through what really matters. <clears throat> the introduction is from Roger Bischoff. And then we'll launch into the first of the six chapters. So from the page, Access to Insight, author is Weibu Wheel 375. And he was written in original Dharma Wheel publication, 375 somewhere, 1995, so this is nearly 30 years old. <clears throat> Very interesting, and, and he died actually about 45 years ago, in uh, 77, I think. So, and you'll see his uh, straight arrow approach here, and um, as the the perspective for meditation in general, no matter how much meditation you do and no matter how you live the rest of your life, uh, this is extremely useful as a um, philosophical <clears throat> uh, teaching basis for right practice. So, Roger Bischoff's introduction. The Weibu Sayadaw, the Weibu is a term, and you'll see, it'll all explain. The Weibu, the, the Weibu Sayadaw, or the Weibu Sayadaw, or the Weibu Sayadaw, meaning from Weibu. The Weibu Sayadaw was born on the sixth day of the waxing moon of Tabong in the Burmese year 1257, which is 17th of February 1896, 
around the same Nichinanda, same time Nichinanda was born. In Ingyenbin, a small village near Shwebu in Upper Burma, he was ordained as a novice at the age of nine and was given the name Shin Kumara, very Hindu. At the age of 20, he was ordained as a full member of the Sangha and was thereafter addressed as U Kumara. This is a, U is sort of like Bhikkhu, I think. And then Roger Bischoff explains that, quote, Webu Sayadaw is a title meaning the holy teacher from Webu, the Sayadaw of Webu, the Webu Sayadaw, meaning of the Sayadaw of Webu, which is a place, given to him after he became an established teacher down the line. Ukumara, or Webu Sayadaw, went to Mandalay, capital, to study at the famous Masoyen Monastery, the leading monastic university at the time. In the seventh year after his full ordination, he left the monastery to put into practice what he had learned about meditation. After leaving the Masayin Monastery, Ukumara spent four years in solitude. Then he went to his native village of Ingyenbin for a brief visit, where he taught the technique of meditation he had adopted. Quote, This is a shortcut to Nibbana, he said. Anyone can use it. It stands up to the investigation and it is in accordance with the teachings of the Buddha as conserved in the scriptures. It is the straight path to Nibbana. So a shortcut to and the straight path to Nibbana, the technique of meditation. And the technique was Anapanasati. Going on, among the 13 practices called the Dutanga, which are often taken up by monks living in solitude to combat laziness and indulgence, is the practice of never lying down, not even to sleep. Monks taking up this particular practice spend the night sitting and meditating to rid themselves of sleepiness. The Webu Sayadaw is said to have followed this practice all his life. He taught that effort was the key to success, not only in worldly undertakings, but also in meditation, and that sleeping was a waste of time. I was told by one of his disciples that on the occasion of his ordination under the Webu Sayadaw, he had a mosquito net and a pillow, in addition to the monk's requisites, the requisites are robe and bowl and or robe and food and um, dwelling place and medicine. The Webu Sayadaw, pointing at them, meaning the mosquito net and the pillow, asked him what they were. And the monk says, a pillow and a mosquito net, sir. Are these part of the monk's requisites? No, sir, said the monk. And the newly ordained monks decided to give back these, quote, luxuries back to his family. So they all gave back their pillows and mosquito nets and slept without a pillow and a mosquito net. Mm -hmm. So how do they deal with the mosquitoes? Well, they sat through it. How about that? The Webu Sayadaw emphasized the practice of meditation as the only way to bring the teachings of the Buddha to fulfillment. The, scripture, uh, the study of the scriptures, though helpful, is not indispensable for the realization of Nibbana. The technique of meditation taught by Webu Sayadaw is one of 40 techniques mentioned in the scriptures for the development of samadhi, or concentration. <clears throat> it is called Anapanasati, and requires one to be aware, one, that one is breathing in while breathing in, two, that one is breathing out while one is breathing out, and three, of the spot or area which the stream of air touches while one is breathing in and out. In the Fushudimaga, Buddha Gosha describes 16 ways of approaching this meditation, but the Webu Sayadaw kept reminding his disciples they needn't know about all of these. All they really needed to know was the reality of in and out breathing. <clears throat> also a very important point. La, uh, going on, U Te Hlein, the collector of some of the discourses contained in this book, the book being the essential practice, writes, the Weibo Sayadaw preached sometimes five, sometimes ten times a day. Seven main points were always included in his discourses. If the Weibo Sayadaw gave ten thousand discourses in his life, then these points were expounded by him ten thousand times. He always included them, even if he had to repeat them again and again. He always explained the teachings in simple terms so that the ordinary man could understand 
he tried to explain the Dhamma in such a way that the most difficult thing became easy. And the seven points are one through seven. Number one, one can only expect the fulfillment of one's aspirations if one is perfect in morality. Two, when practicing generosity, dana, in the religion of the Buddha, the mental attitude and volition involved are very important. Number three, believing in the law of karma, or kamma, one should always act with an upright mind. Four, one should not aspire to any happiness of either the human or celestial worlds which are impermanent, but only to nibbana. Five, because of the arising of the Buddha, we have the opportunity to practice right conduct, charana, and wisdom, panya, fully, and thereby to benefit greatly. Six, from the moment we're born to the moment we die, there is the in-breath and the out-breath. This is easy for everybody to understand. Every time we breathe in or out, the breath touches near the nostrils. Every time it touches, we should be aware of it. <clears throat> and seven, while we are walking, working, doing anything, we should always be aware of the in-breath and the out-breath. So this is an example of uncompromising. Going on, most of these discourses were given before large audiences during the Webu Sayadaw's travels in Lower Burma. The person or persons answering the Webu Sayadaw are lay people sitting up close and front, sitting up front and close to him. <clears throat> Some of the discourses are translated from a collection compiled and introduced by Ulh Te Klein and published by the Ministry of Religious Affairs of Burma. Others have been transcribed from tape by the translator and then rendered into English. The titles of the discourses have been added and were not assigned to them by the Webu Sayadaw himself. That's an important matter. He didn't title these chapters 6 as they are by Roger Bischoff. Going on, because they were delivered extemporaneously, the discourses are repetitive and were edited slightly so that they lend themselves better to reading. Care was taken, however, to edit only obvious repetitions and only when they had merely rhetorical value. The reader may still find the discourses repetitive, but with some patience and mindfulness, he will discover in them many insights into practical Buddhism. This is all called, this is uncompromising practical Buddhism. The way Sayadaw was not a scholar, and his discourses do not cater to the intellectual who prefers the study of Buddhist philosophy to the practice. His refreshing simplicity, his patience, his lovely sense of humor, and his humility illumine a side of Buddhism which cannot be perceived by reading treatises and texts. Moreover, the statements of the people in the audience offer us a glimpse of how Buddhism is practiced in Burma today. <clears throat> the way Busayadaw undertook pilgrimages to the Buddhist sites of India and Sri Lanka, he passed away on 26th of June, 1977, in the meditation center at Ingyan Bin, his native village. He was believed to be an arahant, i.e., a person who has in practice fully understood the Four Noble Truths and has attained the end of suffering. That's from Roger Bischoff. Yes, I think he was an arhat and arahant. Uh, that's for real. And this is practical Buddhism <clears throat> from somebody who uh, joined up at age nine and went straight and made complete and perfect attainment, it seems to me. Uh, we don't necessarily, you know, backtracking, I'm not sure we, I think in some sense, a certain kind of adjustment has to be made here, or a number of adjustments, in my understanding, of uh, rightly receiving these teachings, uh, and rightly making good use. First of all, we are, I am totally inadequate, totally inferior to Webu Sayadaw, uh, and in the sense that I uh, entertain certain desires, I do not have the aspiration to complete and perfect enlightenment, the fastest path, the shortcut right now in this lifetime. If I did, I wouldn't be talking, because I wouldn't be involved in all this <laughs> yak yak. So don't think you do either, unless you do, but I don't think you'd be here. 
listening to me. That would be a real waste of your time. So uh, I am, you know, absolutely, utterly uh, inferior and uh, in the sense of um, commitment to complete and perfect attainment, uh, uncompromising. I, you know, enjoy certain sensual pleasures and I uh, enjoy worldly things of some degree, somewhat. And uh, don't, I'm not aiming for what he's aiming for. Okay. That doesn't mean, you know, I'm a shithead, and it doesn't mean that there's no value in my talking, or how dare you. I mean, some people may think that, right? I mean, the one dissenter likes to do that because he wants attention. But um, I think there's a value in acknowledging um, great, great beings' teachings, knowing that we are simply not willing to uh, make the effort they made. Uh, but someday we will. And someday we'll go where they've where they are, in our own way, in our own time. Because personally, I I do hold some value in Ra's teaching, uh, proper role for the entities to experience all things desired. There's a slow path and there's the fast path, and you know the slow path. Um, you can say it's morally inferior. You can also say it's experience. It, it's also it, you can also say it's experientially richer. It surely is. I mean, the purpose of creation is for beings to get out of it as soon as possible. <laughs> the purpose of the octave is for the uh, apparent beings or or the logos in the forms of light imagining itself to be soul or higher self, right? The logo, the higher self is a sub-sub-logos. Uh, the one infinite creator with false identity, with seven energy fields of light. Get the hell out of that whole thing as soon as possible? Is that the point? <laughs> no. The point is neither to do that nor not to do that. The point is for it to be. And within that, these, you know, apparent beings, us as apparent separative identity beings, which is also false, believe ourselves to have free will, believe ourselves to feel it best to go our own way, or at least I do. Because in the end, no matter who you revere, you're doing it your own way. You can say, I follow my teacher. Well, you're not your teacher. And you're not fully doing what your teacher said. And even if you fully did everything your teacher said you should do, is that right? Because beings that get out of the octave as soon as possible or go quickly without the experience of falling on their face regularly as a result of entertaining desires don't have the experience of falling on their face regularly um, that most everyone else does. And therefore, they uh, have a certain naivete. Hey, hey, the raw group, right? Mm -mm. Up in sixth density. They don't know shit, in some sense, about how profoundly distorted human life can be. Great Rinpoches and great beings like Weibu Sayadaw, the Weibu Sayadaw, um, will say, just sit and practice. They don't know about, you know, relationship conflict because they didn't want it. They didn't have it. They went beyond it. Um, and I respect that. Meanwhile, um, it doesn't help everybody uh, working, slogging through Maya um, to be told, get out of Maya as soon as possible, just drop it all and, and follow the breath. That's not all that people want to do. And so people, it, it's a very subtle matter. Uh, dogmatism should be thrown out. Meaning, it's not clear what's the best way. Uh, somebody will say, just sit, shut up, and sit. And that's sort of what this approach supports. Just be a monk. You know, no, no pillow, no mosquito net. Let yourself get bitten incessantly and uh, deal with it. And that is the fastest way for everybody? I don't think so. Is it the fastest way for his students? I don't know. I don't know. He knows better. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a worm. I don't know anything. Well, maybe I know a little. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know? So I'm saying that, that 
Don't be dogmatic. I mean, there's only really one person here who's dogmatic, maybe. <laughs> the ghost nemesis. Uh, it's hard to know what's best for beings in evolving. <laughs> how do we evolve, how, for be how beings ought to evolve themselves best. There's a plus and there's a minus to go as fast as possible and get the hell out of the octave as soon as possible. Normally, actually, I would imagine Wei Saido was a six-density wanderer who came in, who probably had a hell of a lot of experience before he had this pure, single-minded, um, dis distilled aspiration of Nibbana in this lifetime, in the last lifetime. Actually. And so... It's. I mean, I have to say that it's probably the case that the only beings who will teach in such an uncompromising way are beings who've had many reincarnations through many dimensions, up to six density. And they've lived a lot already. They've had a lot of lives already. To be able to say, just go straight and finish it. Uh, because they're right at the edge, of, they're right on the bridge. They're at the at the near side of the bridge, and they say, "Just cross the bridge." That's all that it matters, uh, because they've gotten themselves by countless incarnations to the near side of the bridge, whereby on the seventh other side of the bridge they are joining the guardians in eighth density. That that's how I see it, and that's that. And so I would imagine that Weibu Sayadaw and all these others who are totally uncompromising and, and righteous and, and very supreme beings uh, in their aspiration had many, many, many lifetimes where they weren't thinking that way. And by a lot of effort and by patience and by trying different things, finally got themselves to uh, this octave side of the bridge that goes from six to eight. And um, that I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he agrees with me. <laughs> Who knows? So now backtrack to the start of the intro. Maybe I'll only do the intro today. Uh, so he was born in 1896, just like Nichinando. Uh, two hardcore, two heavy hitters came in at the same time. Uh, his uh, original name was Shin Kumara. And when he became a, a bhikkhu, was named U Kamara. I mean, I think, you know, whatever names don't mean much. Uh, but you can see that it's also the case in Buddhist monasticism, as others, that people have an ordination name. And um, that's associated with uh, the beginning of uh, radical detachment and the uh, offloading of false identity. Your birth name is not who you are. So he studied at the at, at a major uh, monastery in uh, Mandalay, uh, and then second. Uh, seven years later, after seven years of full practice, he um, spent four years in solitude. So that's it, right? Seven years of study. I mean, he was a <laughs> he was a, 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 a novice at age nine. He um, ordained as a novice at age nine, was a full bhikkhu at age 20, had seven years of heavy, hardcore study, had four years of heavy, hardcore solitude, and at the age of 31 was an arhat. Ba-boom. That's what it looks like to me. Okie dokie, pretty cool. So that's called a, <laughs> that's called, a, you know, a very uh, completely successful um, life purpose fulfillment. Uh, complete success fulfillment in the manifestation of life purpose for him, you know, where he was born at the, born at this side of the bridge, born, born at the bridge. Born, born at the at the entrance to the bridge, and so at nine he is a novice. At twenty he's a full biko. Seven years of intensive study to twenty-seven, and twenty-seven to thirty-one. Right in the Saturn return, he attains nibbana, and that's what it looks like to me. Boom.
so so you, you know so it's pretty appropriate that he's talking about a shortcut to nibbana his all this incarnation as the uh, way busayadah was a uh, steady march um, from six to eight density or from third density incarnation to freedom from the octave or complete perfect enlightenment freedom from this entirety of the all freedom from the entirety of the ocean of birth and death samsara so his life was a manifestation of uh, a shortcut to nibbana or the straight path the straight path nibbana that was the purpose of his life and that's what he did and so that's you know that that's really honorable and respectable meaning worthy really worthy of respect i think he came in like babe ruth you know at the bat uh points to uh, points to the bleachers in center field and says there i'm going to hit it there the ball comes in he hits it and goes there uh, that's like <laughs> the way busayadah way busayadah where he said he came in with this intention and that's why he talks about aspiration that's why he talks about effort and that's why he talks about shortcut and straight path because that's what this incarnation was was the manifestation of a straight path from here to nirvana nirvana to arahan but i would think that he had countless or many many lifetimes uh exploring uh less than the straight path uh which is i think that's just how it goes then okay he had the practice of uh, never lying down i tried that i actually built myself a chin rest with a kesaku stick and two blocks of wood and uh i never used it <laughs> i went to sleep at a certain point at 2 a.m. i just thought ah oh, well i just go to sleep <clears throat> my my i wasn't my the purpose of my incarnation is not um as glorious as his uh the straight path to nirvana um so okay so it's important to be in touch with you know in in harmony with yourself and not pretend to be something that you're not 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 imagine your desires to be other than they are it doesn't mean they can't change but at least you should be honest we should be honest about ourselves <clears throat> in our own level our relative level of aspiration our relative level of seeking the gradient up the mountain the angle of ascent um nearly nobody has this um steep angle of ascent pure aspiration for only the the short the straight path to nirvana and so he didn't he probably didn't even need to sleep he was you know seven chakra perfected so he said sleeping was a waste of time and he told the students uh, he 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 just sort of uh glared at the guy or looked at the guy peacefully and said why do you need a pillow and a mosquito net okay so the newly ordained monks decided to give those luxuries back to their family now was that helpful for them or not I don't know. It's up to them. I don't know. So you can see it's a, it's a little nuanced, I think. Then or I think, you know, it's just not right to say he's the teacher, it's the way, got to do it, that's all. I just think that doesn't work for people. It doesn't work for everybody. And and it's not about, you know, the good people go straight to nirvana and the bad people dilly-dally with desires and immorality. You can say that. <laughs> um but be careful of pointing fingers and so um beings do what they think they need to do as they think is best um you know just try not to hurt people right <laughs> if you want to flop around in the mud that's okay i guess you know and when you realize you have mud in your mouth you probably should stop flopping but you know when you know you don't want a mouth of mud stop flopping in the mud meanwhile there are other desires that that you know um are are elevating and so there are desires of green blue indigo mm-hmm. there are uh, experiences of fourth and fifth and sixth density that um you ought not shake a stick at <laughs> uh or have some value they're not supreme value but there's some value and ultimately sometimes it's just the faster way to stop and rest than to keep walking 
or without rest. So anyway, th this is just uh, considerations. So he emphasized the practice of meditation as the only way to bring the teachings of the Buddha to fulfillment. So practice is everything. Practice is critical. You really can't be free of some disturbance in mind without the, without the consequences or the effects of mind, effects on mind of meditation. The effects on mind of meditation, effects of meditation on mind are essential to healing and balance. You can't uh, distinguish clearly when the mind is muddled. And when we look into the five hindrances, uh, there's much to say on that. How Anapanasati as one key meditation technique, which he taught, which I uh, followed for a long time, uh, as definitely a straight path to purification of mind or f gaining greater freedom in mind, freedom from mind, freedom from harmful patterns of mind, freedom from unrecognized uh, biases and presumptions and assumptions and impulses and tendencies and uh, desirings, craving clinging and attachment, you know, to be free of craving, clinging and attachment, one must acknowledge and see more clearly the patterns of craving, clinging and attachment, which come out as five hindrances. And so, uh, seeing the mind more clearly, buddhi, as Nityananda would say, is highly su supported by practice. You, you know, you need concentration and equanimity to be able to see the mind from a position uh, apart from the mind, which means really to see the contents of mind, the nature of the sankharas in the mind, <clears throat> the tendencies, the impulses, the preferences, the wrong specific wrong views, the um, unrealistic expectations, and the realistic understandings. Right? where I know and what I don't know, where I'm mistaken and where I think I'm right. That needs a quiet mind. Quiet mind, silence of mind, to a steady state, said Ra. You've got to practice for that. You can't have that silence without concentration. And normally, people need concentration, or concentration is achieved by practice. Now, there are, there are many professions where people can develop concentration of mind without Buddhist meditation practice, or any meditation technique, like... Uh, artists who concentrate on their work, or anyone, engineers, mathematicians, uh, laborers, cooks, and cleaners. All sorts of people can develop concentration of mind by their occupation, by their hobbies even, stamp collector. But without certain Buddhist teaching, what they do with the concentrated mind is probably not going to be detachment from the harmful patterns of mind. They may or may not. One can have concentration of mind without the view and practice of detaching from the harmful of mind. Uh -huh. So people have concentration, they have a good six chakra, but there's still all sorts of blind spot, blind spotting, where they're not seeing where they're stuck, where they're wrong where there's distortion, where they're clear, what's um, useful, and distinguishing the mind looking at the mind, or awareness looking at mind, right? It's awareness seeing mind. The seer, seeing, the, the, the seer by buddhi, seeing the uh, distortions or, or conditions of the personality in, by, uh, of the manasic, buddhi seeing manas, the witness seeing um, the personality. Uh, that kind of detachment comes only by concentration and equanimity. Uh, meditation is a straight path to concentration and equanimity. Other people not practicing by their, by their occupation or their hobby may develop some concentration and equanimity. But are they, what are they doing with it? And in Buddhism, the work of meditation is for concentration and equanimity so one can see the mind better. So one can one can free 
oneself from not only the hindrances and the kleshas, but also all forms of craving and all forms of identity and all forms of identification and all restlessness. Right? The ten fetters broken. That's not uh, done by people who don't know that it's ought to be done or how it's done or that it's valuable to do. So, okay. So, when he, uh, his, his practice recommended was Anapanasati. Being aware of three things. One, that one's breathing in when you're breathing in. Two, that you're breathing out when you're breathing out. Three, the spot or area where the stream of air touches um, while there's breathing in, breathing out. And he, he doesn't care about Buddha Gosha's uh, 16 ways of approach to Anapanasati or meditation. And he just said, um, all you need to know about the, all you really need to know was the reality or is the reality of in and out breathing, like in and out burger. But uh, when you get into the knowing, what do you mean know? You mean think about? No. If every time there's in breath, the mind is thinking there's in breath, and every time there's out breath, there's out breath. Uh, you, number one, you probably can't do that because uh, the mind will become so quiet that it'll become quite painful to keep generating thought, at least at my elementary understanding. When the mind is really quiet, it's hard to generate thought. <laughs> Why are you going to keep generating the thought? Uh, if you think that knowing equals thinking, but knowing doesn't equal thinking. So how do you know something without thinking? You're attentive. Well, if you're not thinking, how can you know you're attentive? I don't know. I can't answer that. How do you? Uh, how how are you steadily concentrated on knowing in in breathing as in breathing, out breathing as out breathing, without thinking? I don't know. Actually, because I I can't think it. Can you know without thinking? I think so. You can be attentive. But once you think, you're lo- you've lost attentiveness and you're back in thinking. Thinking and attentiveness are not the same. Paying attention is not the same as thinking about. At least it seems to me. At least from my practice. So in a way, you can't know <coughs> when um, the mind is centered in attentiveness or mindfulness. Uh, however what happens is uh, great equanimity develops and the breathing continues. And somehow, as far as I know, from whatever I development I have, um, I am still aware, or uh, let's just say, keep using the word I, I'm still aware, breathing, in, breathing out. But I actually, at a certain, in some ways, um, realize that I don't know what's happening also, in real time that I, I'm not thinking about it, I'm actually not sure what's going on. But I'm not rolling on the floor, and the body is in a lot of <laughs> pleasure, and there's a quiet mind and not much thinking, and then uh, things get weird. Things get weird means um, there there is a, a recognition that identity is empty. What does that mean? It's... That, that, that thoughts of self is not the I. I is not the thought. There's thought and there's no thought. And reality beyond thinking is radically different than how we think things are or how we... <laughs> our imagining of things based on our thinking, our imagining how things are or reality based on our thinking is not how reality is seen to be or sensed to be without thinking. If you know what I'm saying. So... Uh, it is a question, what do you mean aware that you're breathing and breathing out, even that there's a spot or area, uh, the thinking of a spot or area goes away, but there's still awareness that there's breathing, and there's still awareness that there's a cycle of in and out, and that there's a front and back (laughs) before that falls away. So, anyway, I have to get to talk to somebody about that. (laughs) Uh, Talking to my computer doesn't help. Going on, the collector, Wu uh, Te Hlein, uh, who <clears throat> was a senior disciple, I guess, 
said that he was teaching five or ten times a day, uh, maybe 10,000 discourses in his life, and said the, seven, the same seven points always. Uh, these are the seven points. Number one, you can only expect the fulfillment of your aspiration if you're perfect in morality. And so, Srila Samadhi Prajna, if you want fulfillment of anything, any desire, and I would imagine worldly as well as spiritual, you, uh, perfect morality, certainly if we're on the positive path, is needed. I mean, is best. So, you can also say that, I mean, it's like, in a corrupt system, <laughs> um, perfect morality is not necessarily going to lead to fulfillment of your desires. If you're talking about internal work, yes. And that, what is perfect in morality, right? I, I can only tell you as, as well as I know based on my, my uh, imperfection. So I think he was perfect in morality, as much as I know what that even means. Uh, I'm sure I'm not. And, um, <clears throat> but I don't even know what it means. So I would imagine I'm not, uh, from a perspective of, uh, you know, perfect adherence to Panchashila and certainly the monk's rules, I don't follow. Uh, so we are not perfect in morality, so we can't fully understand what perfect morality looks like. Okay. But <clears throat> there's a correlation then to a moral rec between moral rectitude or commitment to morality or harmlessness and righteousness or right speech, right action, right livelihood and fulfillment of aspiration. His aspirations were singular to complete and perfect enlightenment and nirvana only. That's not where we're at. And so there's again that adjustment to be made. <clears throat> the adjustment is simply that we probably... Without that aspiration, seeking something lower than the summit of the mountain, our morality is, is inevitably imperfect. As morality purifies to perfect, which I don't know, I don't know who knows, he knows, but I don't know what perfect morality is even. As morality purifies, so will the uh, target of one's aspirations, and so will one's capacity to fulfill them. So skill in effort or effort in skill in achievement and attainment and the quality of what one seeks grow together or purify together with the purification of morality. The higher the seeker, the higher the sought. <laughs> the pure, the more pure the seeker, the more pure uh, the finding. Yes. And so only the most pure find the most pure. Only those most committed to purity find maximal purity. Yeah, right. And so the deva didn't go to Mahamogalana, the deva got to Shariputta. Why? Because Mogalana was too rough and uh, Shariputta was not. If you know what I mean. There's a story in the early days that some deva appeared to Mahamogalana and Shariputta or was in relation to them Deva meaning a higher dimensional being, you know, god or goddess. It was a female, I think. A feminine god, goddess. Goddess. It's meaning a, a female embodied higher dimensional being. Something like that. <clears throat> uh, came to them but only went with, with uh, Shariputta because he was more purified in deep mind than Magalana, even though both of them were arhats. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot we don't know here that you know, not, not all uh, perfected beings are the same, or all perfected beings are unique in certain ways. And that uniqueness is associated with the path of development to their perfection. You know, you can get to the mountaintop, but everybody came at a diff on a different path. And even though they're all at the same attainment at the mountaintop, uh, they are not the same beings because of the paths they took to the summit. All beings at the summit are equally at the summit and have the view and the power of those of the summit. <clears throat> but because they took unique paths to the summit, they are unique beings at the summit and have a unique uh, take on or use of or 
utilization application of the powers and the view uh, and the nature of being at the summit. Something like that. So he surely was perfect in morality and had highest aspiration. And they go together. Then uh, number two is about generosity at Danna. Let me just see what the time is here. Uh, yeah, let me, I'll just do one, two, three. Well, mm, 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 just one more. They're all kind of interrelated. <clears throat> Number two, when practicing dhamma generosity in the religion of the Buddha or in accord with Buddha Dhamma teaching, meaning according to Buddha's Gautama's teaching on generosity, mental attitude and volition are critical in the performance of generosity in any way and so if you give because you want to get or you give because if you give because you want to get <laughs> it's not as high as if you simply give because um, um, one doesn't need or one really is happy that others have <clears throat> giving to get is different than giving, um, seeking others' happiness. So giving to get is giving to uh, have more. Giving to get means I'm focused on my happiness and getting by way of the giving. Giving by uh, happiness, sympathetic joy, right, mudita, <clears throat> is just the next level where uh, I feel happy, sympathetic joy, when you're happy, so I give, so you're happy. Other levels, uh, I mean, again, I'm not perfect. Who the hell knows, right? I'm not only a, only a Buddha, only a, an Arhan will give you Arahan teaching, and only Arahan <clears throat> can explain anything fully in their own way, in accord with their path up the mountain. But I'll do my best with what I know, based on where I am, whatever that is, wherever that is. I would think that, and I think that. Um, Maybe Mingun Sayadaw talked about, or actually PureDhamma.net from Sri Lanka talked about higher levels of motivation for dana and giving, where there's not only sympathetic joy that I'm happy you're happy, I'm happy to make you happy, uh, yeah, I guess I'm getting the happiness of making you happy by giving you, but there's also happy is good, and I don't need, and I don't want holding I, I, having nothing is better than having anything but again as you get to the higher levels only those of the purest aspiration um, can embody only those of highest purest aspiration which is get the hell you know get me out of the octave as soon as possible huh. you burn up in, in the light of um, bliss you know that again yeah that's true and best, but yeah, um, it's just not for everyone. So the highest level of understanding motivation and, and attitude and giving comes from those with the highest aspiration who are most perfected in morality and thus view of um, uh, generosity associated with highest, you know, ideal, perfected um, most purified aspiration or motivation. Only the those that are seeking the highest goal have the highest morality and thus the highest volition in their doing of generosity. It's very, very subtle, I think. So, but I would think at higher levels there's some, there's a sense that I don't need anything. I don't want to hold anything. <laughs> I just want complete um, fusion or complete, you know, release, complete extinguishing of the fire of desire and ignorance and suffering. Uh, I want <laughs> seeking complete freedom from suffering and ignorance and desire. Uh, I wish to hold nothing. Thus, I wish to uh, retain nothing. <laughs> All holding is a pain, is dukkha. And so that was shown in the life of Nityananda very clearly. You know, oodles of uh, noodles were sent to him. I mean, 
gold and silver and money and food and this, that, and the other thing all was laid at his feet and all of it immediately went out the door to the community. And that's because there was, you know, <laughs> this one there, that one here, that one there was not uh, seeking anything in the 31 planes. And so then their, their giving is the purest because they seek, there's no seeking other than uh, to radiate like the sun. They don't even seek to radiate like the sun. They're even beyond purpose, right? Ra saying, we are those of the law of one, that is our nature and our purpose. Session one, question one, one, one. Uh, at, that, at the level of complete, um, the ideal, purified, perfected aspiration, um, there is no, there's no separate purpose. <laughs> They're not even seeking. They're finished. So all they do is express their nature. And so ex seeking complete release is seeking to completely uh, be at, be at one with true nature, or to completely re realize or liberate true nature. Liberation, so-called self-liberation, is the liberation of true nature to its total expression. Yeah. <clears throat> at that point, there's no purpose at all. So my purpose is to have no purpose. Mm -hmm. My purpose... <laughs> so you see, it gets very subtle at that point. But yeah, at the highest level of volition in generosity uh, associated with the highest uh, aspiration for nib Nibbana now, you know, like Apocalypse now, there's Nirvana now, uh, there's no purpose other than, I guess, you know, if there's still some seeking, seeking to fully be released from pain and ignorance. <clears throat> and then then at that point, like Nityananda demonstrated, uh, there's no purpose. There's just a expression of true nature where he just radiates and nothing, doesn't want to hold anything. The sun radiates, it doesn't, it's not sticky. So, I think we'll end there. <laughs> uh, it's pretty abstruse stuff here, and um, he's really a supreme level seeker who I think uh, attained his goal in, uh, fully before uh, you know <laughs> before age uh, thirty-five, which is great. So that's it for today. Next time we'll carry on um, commentary on the introduction. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it's useful for you. Please take good care of yourself. See you next time. And good night.